Hallelujah. I'm grateful for that word from Brother Anau. If you could turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. I just want to move with what the Spirit is doing this morning. Jonah chapter 3. Before we get to that, I did want to thank the executive board for the opportunity to speak this morning, and our general superintendent, uh, my pastor, Brother Harvey. He's a powerful preacher of the word and an even better Christian that I've been able to observe over the last 14 years of my relationship with him, and we are so blessed to be led by him in this national church. I also want to give honor to my wife, who is an amazing woman of God in my family, especially my mother-in-law, Sister Gina Gretsch, who has had a profound impact on my ministry. Finally, I want to thank the Australian Church for welcoming me, a 19-year-old, highly opinionated American, welcoming me with open arms. I love the UPCA. I really do, and I'm grateful to be a part of this body of believers. Brother Kent just mentioned uh, when, when uh, Brother Hickle talked about homegrown evangelists, he said, can we count you? <laughs> I said, yes, I believe you can count me. <laughs> Amen. Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to preach to you on the thought, Nineveh needs you. Nineveh needs you. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Often when we talk about the book of Jonah, most of the emphasis is on the, uh, of the narrative is on Jonah and his struggle with the call of God. In fact, I was talking to my daughter about it the other day. It's one of her favorite stories in the Bible, and I was interested because I was putting this message together as to what she would say about the story of Jonah, and she went through and, and, and kind of went through the stereotypical things that we talk about. And, uh, you know, she's six, so I'm not going to uh, fault her for forgetting the name. But she actually forgot the name of the city that Jonah was called to preach to. But that's just a testament of the fact that what we tend to focus on when we talk about this story is Jonah, the man. We talk about his refusal to follow the call of God, his desperate attempt to run away to Tarshish on a ship from Joppa, and how the Lord caused a great storm to engulf the ship. We talk about Jonah's inevitable confession to his fellow passengers and their decision to throw him overboard. We spend a lot of time on the whale or the big fish, as others might argue, is swallowing him whole and, and how he came to a place of repentance after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, all of which ultimately led to him being vomited back onto dry land. We tend to focus on Jonah, but I believe the story is not really about Jonah. It's about Nineveh. Because the book of Jonah begins with a call to Nineveh. 
And as soon as the prophet comes to his senses and repents and decides to follow the call, again in Jonah 3, the call returns. God didn't change. The importance of Nineveh was the most important issue in the matter. You see, Nineveh was the capital of the great Assyrian empire. It's the oldest and largest of the empire's cities. In fact, the location of this ancient city is encircled by the modern-day city of Morsel, or northern Iraq. And I did say that properly because I believe I have, because my mother-in-law has coached me over the years. But Nineveh was strategically located at the intersection of important, uh, of important north and south and east and west uh, trade routes. And it was close to a few strategic rivers. And so this was a large and a powerful city. It had imposing gates and it had beautiful structures. And, and imagine what Jonah would have been facing while he was walking up to this city. But beyond the power, beyond the beauty, beyond uh, what, how wonderful this city might seem and how powerful it was, there was wickedness and sin in that city. And that is why God commissioned Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. And that takes us back to Jonah chapter 3. You see, Jonah, he arrived at the gates of Nineveh and he began to preach the destruction of the city because of its wickedness. But a surprising thing happened when he began to preach the message. Instead of the Assyrians becoming angry, they heard the word. They heard the word of the Lord, and they repented. From the greatest to the least, they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. Word even reached the king of Nineveh, and he got off his throne, took off his royal clothes, and put on sackcloth and ashes. He then made a proclamation throughout the city. He said, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? You see, nothing grabs the attention of God like a truly repentant heart. It didn't matter that they were Assyrian. It didn't matter that they were in a wicked city. It didn't matter that they didn't have a relationship with God. But when they heard the word of God and they decided to turn to the Lord and turn away from sin, he heard their cry. Hallelujah. When they were confronted by the word of God, they felt terrible for their sin, but they allowed that sorrow to lead them to a place of repentance. When we are confronted with sin, when, when we preach about this, we cannot allow it to just be condemnation, but we need to allow that to turn to a place of repentance. Not just sorrow, but sorrow that leads to repentance. Listen to how Paul describes repentance to the Corinthian church. He says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It's not enough to feel sorry for what we've done or, or how we have behaved, but we have to allow that sorrow to lead us to a place of repentance. Because as we know, it is in that place of repentance that we will find salvation. 
That is why John the Baptist started his ministry in the New Testament preaching about repentance. That is why Jesus declared, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is why Peter started his message by saying, repent in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. It is repentance that leads to the forgiveness of sins. And so I want to challenge you to preach repentance. Preach repentance because it leads to new life. Preach repentance in your homes. Preach repentance in your church. Preach repentance in your cities. It is repentance that leads to new life. And when people respond to the message of repentance, we must rejoice. We must celebrate. Hallelujah. We must celebrate. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how far they've gone from God if they've turned their back from God. And now they have turned back to him. We should be the first to rejoice. We should be the first to celebrate. Hallelujah. Jesus himself said in Luke 15, there is joy in heaven when someone makes the decision to repent of their sins and turn to God. Hallelujah. And so there must be joy in our churches. There must be joy in our house when someone turns to the Lord. And you get a sense of that joy in God's response to their repentance in verse 10. He saw their works that they had turned from their evil way. And he relented from performing the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. But listen to Jonah's response. He wasn't celebrating. He wasn't too happy. His response to that repentance in Jonah chapter 4. The Bible says it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, was not this what I said was going to happen when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled and went to Tarshish, for I know, listen to this, I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You see, Jonah knew the God that he served, and he wasn't too fond of that city, and he knew that if he went and preached that message and they responded to the word of God, God would respond to their faith and repentance. Because we serve a merciful God. We serve a wonderful Savior. We serve a God who is full of love and compassion. We serve a God who wants to reach Nineveh more than we want to reach Nineveh. We serve a God who is slow to anger and ready to forgive. We serve a God that looks beyond our failures, looks beyond our faults, and still uses us. And that is why he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is not willing that any. That means nobody. It is not the will of God that anyone should perish and go to hell. But it is his will that all would repent and come back to him. Because it is repentance that leads to new life. We serve a wonderful Savior. We serve a glorious God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, Jonah, he was upset with God's decision. And so then he went to the east side of the city and he built a shelter so he could watch what was going to happen. And while he was there, God allowed a plant to grow up in order to shield Jonah from the, the harsh sun. But the following day, a worm destroyed the plant. Not only that, but as the day grew hot, he was blasted by a scorching wind. Finally, 
Jonah, in his anger, in his displeasure, he gasped, death, death is certainly better than living like this. To which God replied, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah shouted back, even angry unto death, even angry enough to die. Listen to how God responded. Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there? It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's it. That's the book of Jonah. There's no amen. There's no resolution. It just ends there. You see, Jonah, he had become so distracted by his own comforts that he had found himself at a place where he was bemoaning the death of a plant above the certain destruction of 120,000 people. And before we are too quick to cast a stone at Jonah, how often are we distracted by the discomforts of life that we forget about the millions of people in this country that are stumbling around in spiritual darkness? How, long are, how often are we more frustrated about the internet than about the person that we are unable to talk to at the cafe? The tens and hundreds of thousands of people in cities and towns all across Australia that are waiting for their preacher, that are waiting for their Jonah to answer the call of God to go to their city. You see, because it's always been about Nineveh. It's never been about Jonah, but it's always been about Nineveh. It's been about the 120,000 that are sitting in darkness that do not know where, what their left is from their right. The revival was waiting. The revival was waiting for the preacher to simply surrender to the will of God. The revival was waiting for the preacher to simply step out and go to the place where God had called them to go. Hallelujah. 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 If I could please get the musicians to come. At the beginning of 2022, God gave me this passage, and I felt him impress on me that it was meant for our national conference. Now, mind you, I've never preached national conference. I had no expectation to preach national conference, but I had this scripture that God had given to me and impressed this upon me, and I may never preach this conference again. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that this word that was given to me at the beginning of this year is for this moment. I know that. You see, the Apostle Paul, he's wrapping up this letter to the Romans, and he's talking about self-denial. And he writes this in chapter 15, starting at verse 18. For I will not presume 
to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders. Kind of what uh, our brother was just talking about when unified, the Spirit of God moves. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elycrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this. As thus, I, inspired, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. You see, the Apostle Paul, he had every opportunity to stay in the cities that had already heard the gospel. But God was calling him to places where Jesus had not yet been preached. Why? So that those who have no news of Jesus would be able to see and understand. On the final morning of this amazing national conference, I'm challenging you to consider cities all across this nation where the apostolic message is not preached. Sure, they can join us online. Yes, that's wonderful. They can join us via live stream and they can log in. That's, that's nice. Or they could drive an hour or two to join a local assembly. But there is no established work in these places. And I'd like to have them on the screen. Sunshine Coast needs you. Central Coast needs you. Geelong needs you. Hobart needs you. Toowoomba needs you. Albury Wadunga needs you. Launceston needs you. Coffs Harbor needs you. Bunbury needs you. These cities deserve, they deserve to have a light in their city. They deserve to have the apostolic message preached to them. They deserve to hear the hope of Jesus Christ every Sunday. These cities deserve the gospel. So who's going to go? Who's going to respond to the call of God? Who is going to go to Nineveh? Who is going to lay aside comfort? Who is going to lay aside prestige and go to a place that has never heard the gospel where the apostolic church is not already there? Maybe it's a couple. Maybe it's a family. Maybe a pastor is stirred to send a team to a city that is close to them. But somebody needs to go. Somebody needs to respond to the word of the Lord.
And before you discount this as it's only for the young, this is not only for the young, because I remember hearing a story about Sister Margaret Bellette who came back from Indonesia and she purposed in her heart that she was gonna plant a church in an unrich city in Darwin at the age of 70 years old. Nobody has an excuse to do nothing. So what is stopping you? What is stopping you from going? What is stopping you from giving? What is stopping you from sacrificing your life for the sake of the gospel? It's not about you. It's not about Jonah. It's about Nineveh. It's about Sunshine Coast. It's about Central Coast. It's about Coffs Harbor. It's about Bunbury. It's about Launceston. Oh, it's about Hobart. It's about the hundreds of thousands of people that are living in unchurched cities that need to hear the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that you would feel that burden here this morning. I know I felt it all throughout the week. Let that burden rest on you for one of these cities or for a city that is close to where you're at. Also, Paul wrote just a few chapters before that. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? How are they to hear unless we go? How are they able to hear unless we take the message that we have been so enrichly blessed by this week and take it out there to those who have never heard this gospel? And you will not be going in your own power. You will not be going in your own authority. But you have received power through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses and he will go with you. You see, as the disciples went out and preached everywhere, as they went, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word with the miraculous. If God has called you to go, then he's going to empower you to accomplish the work. If God is calling you to go, then he will accomplish the work through you. Hallelujah. Nineveh needs you. Nineveh needs the church. When I don't know the way Each turn is so uncertain I learn to walk by faith But you gave me a promise That you will 